Party people, what is going on? Welcome to the Regulators Podcast. I am excited. It is our first show of the 2021 season. So 2020 is in the past. It's done. It's over. We're moving on. But uh, if this is your first time joining us, thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Regulators Podcast I am your host, Waldo Waldy, and I'm excited to have you on this journey with us. If you have never listened to us before, I implore you to go back and listen to some of our other episodes and get a feel for exactly what this show is about. We are anti the hot takes and the clickbait garbage and the incendiary bullshit that everybody else wants to spew just to try to get the engagements out there. We're going to give you some great football insight. We're going to have stats-driven data. We're going to have a lot of information. I mean, I pour hours and hours and hours of research into what I do here because, you know, it's nice to sound like you know what the fuck you're talking about. And uh, I appreciate everybody out there in the Twitter streets, all the engagement we're getting online, everybody who's listening to us from Seattle to Singapore. We really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to have a fun show today. So... Today's show, before we get into everything that's going to happen in 2021, I wanted to take one final all-encompassing look at the good, the bad, and the uncensored. So we're going to cover all 32 teams here, and there's a lot of information for us to get into. So I I think I'm going to break this up into two separate episodes, just so you don't have to listen to me droning on for two fucking hours while you're trying to get to work or get home from work or just, you know, whatever it is you're doing while you listen to our podcast. I like to keep these shows around an hour in length unless it's something really super special. So without further ado, let's get right into the good, the bad, and the uncensored. We're going to kick it off with the New York Jets. The good. Adam Gase is gone, baby. No more Adam Gase. We are officially over that experiment in New York. Good riddance and, you know, how that man will gainfully be employed is beyond me. Um, As a person, as a human being, I know nothing of him that I, I would wish him ill will. But as a coach in the National Football League, all it took was one ringing endorsement from Peyton Manning and... NFL organizations just fawn over this guy thinking he's some sort of guru. It's been a bad situation. But, you know, the good news that we're focusing on is that he's gone. He is he is no longer there. Um, and continuing with that good news, I love Robert Sala. I think that the Jets hit a home run there, and I think that he is going to give this team their identity. I think the Jets are... are they definitely are heading in a right direction. I mean, it's it's hard to say, you know, you can't really go too far in the opposite direction with what Adam Gase, you know, set the bar really, really low. Um, but I think Salah was an excellent hire. And if you're a Jets fan, you know, we're moving on. 
Gase is gone. We got a new head coach at the helm. He's going to bring a strong character, and we know great defensive football to the New York Jets. And hey, you've got the number two overall pick. You've got some capital that you can spend so we can start building the team and seeing what kind of uh, character and what kind of personality this team is going to be filled with moving forward. So that's the good if you're a Jets fan is fresh start. You know, let's let's hit 2021 running and uh, try to build on something here. Now let's talk about the bad. From the bad perspective, Woody Johnson, in my opinion, is a bad judge of personnel. For years, he has not been able to get the right people in the building, the right people at the helm, and then that just has kind of trickled down throughout the Jets organization. Another caveat is you're not getting Trevor Lawrence. So for all the pain that Adam Gase put you through, he also didn't do bad enough to guarantee Trevor Lawrence. So that's something that the Jets are going to miss out on. So now they have the option to obviously go after one of the many rumored quarterbacks that will be available uh, that are currently NFL quarterbacks. Or obviously with that number two pick, they have the opportunity to take a quarterback themselves and we'll see how that plays out um another bad that you know i i have to mention and it's something that someone actually brought up in a group chat that i was in earlier this week is fireman ed does not deserve the new york jet fans and let me explain something to you for a man who was you know, allegedly a former Miami Dolphin fan turned New York Jets fan and was the guy leading the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 chance for years in the Jets stadium. If you don't know who he is, you can go look him up, but I'm sure you've seen his work. And, uh, you know, for years, this guy was an unofficial mascot of the New York Jets. And then during the butt fumble fiasco and everything that was going on in New York, he basically hung it up. And he said, you know, that's it. I'm out. I can't watch this embarrassment anymore. And I will no longer lead, you know, the Jets chance and and I'm done. So he was, he was vamos. And then what happens? After a couple years go by, he comes back. And, you know, now all of a sudden he's, he's fireman Ed again. And my issue with this is you abandon your team in its time of need. We're not even discussing the fact that you grew up a fan of another team and then you, you switch loyalties. You know that That is what it is, but I'll leave that one alone. But the fact that you abandoned your team and then want to come back like you're their leader? Nah, homie. I don't know about you Jets fans, but that, that just doesn't fly with me. So... That's a, a small tidbit to throw in there. And let's get into the uncensored. You know, the Jets have been an embarrassment for a long time. Between the butt fumbles, the seeing ghosts, the just total ineptitude. And it's it's been really, really ugly to watch. Especially as, you know, the Patriots transition from the Tom Brady destroyers of worlds to possibly not being at the top of their game anymore. The Bills are seizing opportunities. The Dolphins are seizing opportunities. 
and the Jets look like they're destined for the bargain basement rack. And what has to happen is a complete overhaul of everything that the Jets know and do about football in New York. And I hate to tell you, Jets fans, but here's the fucking uncensored part. You're three years away. You're a minimum three years away. It doesn't matter if you trade up for Trevor Lawrence. It doesn't matter if you get Deshaun Watson in a coup, which would be amazing. But you're three years away from being playoff competitive. I'm not saying you're three years away from winning eight games. I'm saying you are three years away from being an actual competitor for championship football in the NFL. So buckle up, baby Jesus. It's going to get bumpy. I told you guys that. And you know what? Don't come at me on Twitter if you can't handle this shit because I'm giving you the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I hope for the state of New York, for the people who are lifelong Jets fans, you know, my whole family is from New York. And, you know, when they suffer, you know, I, I feel it and I understand it. And, um, you know, you deserve better, but it's going to take some time. So you're going to have to be patient. I hope that Robert Sala is the guy. I'm rooting for him. I really am. But we'll see what happens. Sticking with the AFC East, let's move into a team that has a lot of good to talk about. The Buffalo Bills. They won 13 games this year, went to the AFC Championship, and Josh Allen is hitting his stride. I mean, after those first couple years, you know, of inconsistency, there was a lot of talk, but you know what? Josh Allen has put himself on the map this year, and it didn't hurt that obviously he got Stefan Diggs, who just showed that he was worth every penny and every ounce of effort that they put into acquiring him. I think the Bills have an excellent coaching staff, and I think that they are going to be a force in that division for years to come. They had the number two offense last year in the NFL, better than the Kansas City Chiefs that everybody crowns every five seconds that they have an opportunity to. So I think the Bills have a lot of good to focus on this offseason. Now let's talk about the bad. So there's not a lot of cap space for the Bills going into this offseason. I think they have, I think they're negative 200,000 over the cap. You know, obviously there'll be a bunch of moves and, and they'll get creative with the cap, but you just don't have a lot of room to really work with there. Now, the run game last year also was not great. They were 19th in the league in yards per attempt. So that's something that the Bills are definitely going to have to focus on going into the offseason. And then which free agents are you going to try to keep? Who are you going to potentially lose to free agency? Both Matt Milano and Isaiah McKenzie are free agents this year. So it'll be interesting to see who they place a priority on and you know if they try to get a deal with Matt Milano done or if Matt Milano moves on to other pastures. Um, let's talk about the uncensored, though. Can we please, for the love of God, get the Buffalo Bills a new fucking stadium? Can we do that? Can we please do that? I think Ralph Wilson is rolling over in his fucking grave. The Buffalo Bills are playing in one of the oldest stadiums in the entire league. I think the 
Chiefs, the Bears, like there's a handful of stadiums that were built maybe a year before them. I think the Bills Stadium was built in like 73, 72 or 73. Um, I know their lease expires in 2023 and they've done all these studies on whether they would just upgrade the stadium or buy something new or whatever, but get the Bills a fucking new stadium. They deserve it. I mean, I, 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 I just, it, it, for football, for football, forget about just for the Bills, for football. Like, can we just bring everybody with us into the 21st century? Like, it's it's embarrassing. It really, really is. That stadium is outdated. Time has passed it by, and they're due for a new one. So hopefully the Bills can get that done sometime in the near future and get themselves a new stadium. I'd love to see that. I'd love to visit it. All right, let's move on to the New England Patriots. Now, I know there wasn't a lot of good this year, but let's focus on the good that you do have, Patriots fans. You are six times Super Bowl champions. Only the Pittsburgh Steelers have as many Super Bowl trophies as the New England Patriots. You still have Bill Belichick, who is one of the greatest football minds to ever coach, general manage, or be involved with a football team in any capacity. And let's be honest. You feed off the fucking hate. You chug that shit like a case of White Claws. You love when people doubt you. You love when people talk crap about the Patriots. And you know what? For years, much like Michael Jordan, you had to manufacture and create this controversy about the world doubting you when it wasn't real. Every year, the Patriots were predicted by... 80 to 90% of analysts to go out and win the whole thing and win the Super Bowl. But yet the fans and the players would create this narrative that, oh, they're doubting us, you know, they think we can't do it. No, most of us thought that you were going to go do it. But now, for the first time, there's real doubt, especially after how the season ended. So now, it's palpable. Now you can feel everybody just waiting for the Patriots to get the death blow and just drag themselves to the bottom of NFL mediocrity. So you live for this shit. You feed off of this shit, Patriots fans. So that's a good thing. So that's something you can use for momentum and motivation going into the 2021 season. But we got to talk about the bad. Now, I worry about the offense, okay? I think that obviously at QB last year, Cam Newton was a disappointment to say the least. I don't know what they have at wide receiver because even though none of their wide receivers performed exceptionally, the quarterback play was so abysmal that I almost don't want to give a a true final grade on, on those wide receivers because... The offense as a whole was just anemic. And I'm not sure if Josh McDaniel is still at the top of his game. I mean, the Patriots are putting the band back together. They brought Matt Patricia uh, back into the organization. So now you've got Patricia, you've got um, 
Josh McDaniels and you've got Bill Belichick all in the building at the same time again. And I just don't know. I saw what Josh McDaniels did with Cam Newton, and I we talked about it last year. I thought he was going to go ham with him. I mean, I thought the things that would have opened up for him and the abilities that he would have had to scheme things up with Cam Newton, but it just it looked horrible. So I'm not sure what Josh McDaniels has left in his bag, but he's going to have to pull out all the stops this year. Um, you know, I'm not as worried about the defense. They were seventh in points allowed last year, but the offense just is the biggest concern for me. So I think when we're talking about the bad, it starts and ends with the New England offense. Um, the uncensored part, you know, listen, one thing I didn't like seeing last year was Bill out of his element. You know, I'm so used to Bill Belichick at every press conference being the same monotone bastard. We're on to Cincinnati. We're on to Buffalo. Next question. Like, this guy has the same poker face when he wins the lotto or his dog died. I mean, it's the same fucking thing. But for the first time, you saw him legitimately flustered. And you saw him to the point where he was so frustrated that he was just spewing bullshit. Like, when he talked about with the Patriots being hamstrung with the salary cap and, you know, well, we went all in, you know, these past years and, you know, now, you know, we didn't have any money. So we went out and got Cam Newton, which, first of all, that that was such bullshit because the Patriots had plenty of cap space. They had plenty of cap space. They could have got who they wanted. They went and got a quarterback at practically league minimum, and that's what they decided to do. And again, you're the GM, like, and the head coach. So it's not like, well, you know, the front office only gave me so much money to, to spend. You know, that was total bullshit by Bill. And I don't care. It's just the point that I miss 2007 Bill Belichick. I miss the head coach who was so offended by the fact that you would fucking question anything that he does that when he's up by four touchdowns in the fourth quarter, he's still got his starting quarterback in there and he's throwing it deep because fuck you, because that's who Bill Belichick is. That's why he is the only coach who is not a member of the National Coaches Association. That's why when you play Madden, all the other head coaches, Andy Reid and all these guys, you see them on the screen in Madden. And then when it gets to the Patriots bench, it says Patriots coach. Or they come up with some random fucking name, John Smith. Because the deal is made with the coaches association of which Bill Belichick is not a part of. This is something that was started by his mentor, Bill Parcells. And so Bill Belichick is nothing but but if not a middle finger to the system and to anybody else who would dare question him. That's the Bill Belichick that I want to see back on the fucking sidelines. That's the guy who's going to take the Patriots to their seventh championship win, which would be the most by any franchise in NFL history. So maybe we'll see that Bill in 2021. I'd love to find out. Sticking with the AFC East, though, and rounding it out, let's talk about the Miami Dolphins. You want to talk about the good? Ten wins in year two of a rebuild. 
I don't think people understand how bad this team was when Brian Flores took over. I don't think they understand that 10 wins, and granted, if the Dolphins were in the NFC, that would have been a playoff spot. But the AFC was so competitive this year that the Dolphins missed out of the playoffs. But 10 wins in year two of a full and total rebuild with the highest turnover is amazing. The Dolphins started the season last year as the second youngest team in the NFL, and they won 10 games. Flores is starting to hit his groove, and that defense is dangerous. That defense is just going to get better and better and better, and now you're going to have the offense trying to keep up with it. Tua is going to have a full offseason. He's going to have all the time in the world to get into mini camp, to go through all of those normal things that he should have had but didn't due to the injury that he had last year plus the COVID and all the weird stuff. So I think there's a lot of positivity to look for if you're a Dolphins fan. Now let's talk about the bad. That run game was horrific last year. We saw some splashes out of Miles Gaskin, um, Ahmed looked good at times, but overall, the run game as a whole was just basuda. It was really, really bad. And don't even get me started on the wide receiver separation. We talked about it all year last year, how the Miami Dolphins wide receivers were not getting separation at the point of target, and they were doing it worse than anybody in the NFL. And actually, ironically enough, uh, the other night, one of the people that I engage with on Twitter who follows the show, and uh, we follow him back, his Twitter handle is SmartGuy, he's at, at SmartJames1981, he actually messaged me the other night and said that he had re-downloaded all the data from Gen Stats and actually did a team-by-team analysis as a whole of the yards of separation per uh for for each wide receiver in the NFL and not only were the dolphins you know absolutely at the bottom but I took a look at the data myself also added my own context to it and looked at it per route run and it was bad i mean the 2.2 yards of separation is is just horrible from the wide receiver perspective. So the Dolphins definitely need to get some help at the wide receiver position, and it's not just the wide receivers they get, but obviously a lot of it is going to have to do with scheme. It's going to have to do with offensive play calling. Chan Gailey is obviously out, um, so I think that'll help a little bit with that. But, um, you know, smart guy and I ended up talking all night about stats and just some really interesting stuff. Uh, you can check our page. I think we retweeted some of the stuff that he put out there um, along with our own data sets as well. But let's get to the uncensored since I mentioned Chin Gailey being out. Two offensive coordinators. This is going to be a wild fucking ride. So Brian Flores has said that he's going to have dual offensive coordinators going into the 2021 season. Now it's not unprecedented. 
Uh, Alabama has done it before. There's been other teams that have done it. However, it still remains to be seen to what capacity Brian Flores is going to let these two guys run the offense. I mean, number one, who who do I blame? Who Who do I get mad at over the play calling? Because I can't imagine that he's going to let one guy call the first and second quarter and the other guy call the second half. Like, I don't think it's going to be like that. I don't think he's going to alternate week to week. You have to install your system and you have to put it in. So I think both guys will have input, but I still believe there's going to be some sort of hierarchy there. And the real thing is going to come down to, okay, they're dual offensive coordinators, right? But who wins an argument? If you're sitting there in the coach's meeting, one guy wants to do X, one guy wants to do Y, who wins that conversation? Because at that point, whoever wins that conversation, generally, is going to be your guy in charge who's who's really running the show. Maybe Flores thinks he can lead them to their own devices to work it out amongst themselves and obviously have a final say. I don't know. But that's going to be something very interesting to watch as the 2021 season progresses. Now, let's move over divisions and talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, for the good, I mean, come on. You guys are one year removed from Super Bowl champions. You're at the highest peak, riding high a year ago. You were the team to beat this year, played exceptional, got to the Super Bowl again, but lost to a really good defense. Um, You know, there's still obviously a lot to be proud of. You have the most elite quarterback in the NFL. And, hey, good news. Your consolation prize is that you get Eric Bieniemy for another year because for some reason that nobody knows, uh, no one wants to hire Eric Bieniemy. So you're going to get him for another year. That's consistency for the offense. That rolls right into next season, and that's something good for you guys to look forward. The team is still overflowing with talent, and there's no reason why the Kansas City Chiefs can't, quote, run it back like what they were intending to do this year. Um, and find themselves in their third straight Super Bowl. So there's the good from the Chiefs. On the bad side, you've got 16 projected uh, unrestricted free agents this year, which includes Bashad Breland, uh, Demarcus Robinson, Sammy Watkins. There's a lot of players that the Chiefs are going to have to make decisions on, and currently they're projected to be $23 million over the cap. So there will be some cap casualties, there will be some free agent losses there, and the Chiefs will have to do what they do, work on their depth, continue to find pieces to both on offense and defense to support their mission and and what they're trying to do. I thought that the the defense last year played okay. We just mentioned Brashad Breland, who is an unrestricted free agent. The Chiefs have some great players in their secondary, but overall, the defense was just okay. It wasn't elite. It wasn't lights out. And we saw that the difference in the Super Bowl came down to defense, which we talked about, have chronicled on this show. We have written articles about it. 16 of the last 21 Super Bowl champions all had top 10 defenses. So I think that's the biggest area of improvement that the Chiefs are going to need to look for in this offseason. The uncensored? You know, listen. What the fuck happened in that Super Bowl? Like, to be honest, 
we like the Bucks. We took the points. Everybody who was giving us points in the Bucks. But I mean, shit. You know, was it like? I I, I just I don't understand. It was it was like a Super Bowl hangover or something. Like I I don't know. We've already been here. We've already done this. This isn't going to be a big deal. And then you got shellacked by the Buccaneers. So again, I think the Chiefs are an elite team. They have a great organization, a great coach. But I just have to vent and get it off my chest. Like what the actual fuck, you know, happened in that Super Bowl? And I mean, you had Patrick Mahomes literally throwing passes while he was upside down, looked like a video game throw where he's throwing shit over his shoulder and it would make it to the wide receivers and then you know a lot of them got dropped and some of it was a little too late and the team was already behind but you know that was that was definitely embarrassing but that's all right Chiefs fans look forward to 2021 I think that sting will actually help the Chiefs I think it'll knock them down a peg give them a sense of humility and uh, they're going to put full force, maximum effort into 2021, and we'll see what they can do with it. Let's talk about somebody else in their division, the Denver Broncos. So you want to talk about the good? Malik Reed played well this year. Uh, John Elway was promoted to season ticket holder, so looks like he will have less fingerprints on, uh, on a lot of those GM decisions. Justin Simmons is an amazing player. If you can keep him, he's going to be one of those free agents that uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to retain or not. They are okay with cap space. They have a good amount of, of cap space that they can use. They can use some capital. They can move some things around. So the Broncos have some things to be positive about. But let's look at the bad. Vic Fangio is 12-21 and 21 since being with the Broncos. He has not proven that he is definitely the guy. And speaking of proving that he is not definitely the guy, uh, Drew Locke does not look like a lock at the quarterback position. Jerry Judy's catch rate was the second worst in the NFL last year. The Broncos paid $23 million for a, bro a broken Von Miller that they now you know, may lose. Um, and the offense turned over the ball 32 times. So that's the bad shit. As far as the uncensored, listen, I hope George Patton's middle initial is S because the Broncos need a fucking general. If you don't know who George S. Patton is, hit your Google and find the World War II veteran four-star general that... uh you know, led America during the last great war. But uh, that's what they're going to need there in Denver. So George Patton has his work cut out for him as GM of the Broncos. Um, let's let's see what he does, and, let, and let's see uh, how much freedom he has with uh, Elway supposedly stepping back into the shadows now. Um, staying in that same division... The L.A. Chargers, right? I know that the season didn't end well, but you got to be excited about Justin Herbert. Full send. And then you've got Brandon Staley. Half send. He was obviously the Rams defensive coordinator, did some great things with them, but 
Obviously, I don't know enough about him yet, and we have to see how he does as a head coach. Being a head coach in the NFL is just like being a first-round quarterback in the NFL. Half of them end up as busts. So we'll see. Uh, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic, I would say, about Brandon Staley. And we'll see what kind of identity he creates for that team and, and what he puts together. On the bad side of the football for the Chargers... I mean, you've got 18 undrafted free agents, so you could see a lot of, I mean, I'm sorry, not undrafted, uh, unrestricted free agents. So you could see a lot of turnover this year with the Chargers. Kalen Balaj was your starting quarterback, starting running back. Jesus, I can't talk today. Kalen Balaj was your starting running back towards the end of the season last year, and that's something you never want to see. I can tell you that for a fact. Um, the game management was just horrible. From the use of timeouts to the questionable play calling, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that got Anthony Lynn obviously ejected out of town. So the game management was just bad all around last year. But obviously there's new head coach, so I can't put too many of those things on the current head coach who hasn't even coached his first game yet. Um, Eckler got wrecked, and then he came back, and... You know, you, you want to see him healthy. Joshua Kelly, I, I thought, was going to be a stud and didn't end up performing to the levels that I expected him to. As far as the uncensored part, you need to cleanse the aura at that stadium. You need to get some sage. You need to call a witch doctor, whatever you need to do. If you need some help, call me. I know some people in Hialeah. They'll come out there. They'll take care of you. I promise. But you need to release the juju. Not the Smith-Schuster juju, but the bad juju that is in the Chargers organization. You need to just, like, get rid of all of that shit. Because the Chargers, for years, have lost close games to a just, like, horrific level that is just embarrassing. And the things that have happened to them, it, like, there's a curse. There's, there's something, I don't know who did what to who or... You know what happened, but you just you need to cleanse that organization. So, like I said, Chargers, if you don't know anybody, call me. I'll hook you up. We'll come out. We'll get some people to take care of it. Now, let's talk about the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, from a good perspective, you got that shiny new stadium, which once people are allowed in that, is going to be gorgeous. Uh, I got some friends at work out there, and... It is just a sight to be seen. That that stadium is really amazing. And it's in Vegas. So, you know, great excuse to go to Vegas, catch a game, enjoy the city for a weekend. Um, only for a weekend, though. Anything more than a few days, that's just always ends badly. But Derek Carr was playing balls this year before his injury. The Raiders were doing great things on offense. I think Darren Waller is a meme stock, meaning I'm throwing all of my money into that motherfucker and we're holding. We got diamond hands. We never letting go of Darren Waller. So him, Josh Jacobs, I think, is another fucking gem. So you got a lot going for you there. Now, is Derek Carr going to stay a Raider? That is obviously the question. I don't see any reason why not unless the Raiders know something about that Goran injury that we don't know. If there is a lot more to that story than potentially 
Derek Carr could be on the move. But I think you've got some great pieces there in Las Vegas to build on, and I think that, you know, with the right moves, the Raiders could easily be competitive again and um, have a good 2021 season to look forward to. But, you know, we got to talk about the bad Raiders fans. We got to do it. So, missed tackles, missed tackles, missed tackles. The Raiders could not wrap up. They could not tackle last year. They were consistently at the bottom of the league as far as the missed tackles. Their defense had the third most points allowed in the NFL. The defense was just a dumpster fire. They were really, really bad. And to add to that, you don't have any cap room this year, so you're not going to go get a bunch of huge pieces. So you're going to have to draft. You're going to have to try to get smart and savvy with the cap. Um, And offensively, if Derek Carr is still there and you get your offensive weapons back and everything's going well, you have to take care of the football. The Las Vegas Raiders were the third worst in the league at offensive turnovers. They gave the ball away way too much, and now is kind of one of their big issues. Even though the defense was playing like hot trash, the offense was keeping them in games, except for when it wasn't by giving the ball away. So that's something the Raiders can't do. And on to the uncensored part. John Gruden, sadly, has not had a winning season since 2008. He is 19-29 with the Las Vegas Raiders, and for his career, he is only four games above 500 right now. So, I love Chucky. I thought the 10-year deal he signed and him and Mike Mayock going back to the Raiders I thought was going to be really, really awesome. And I'm still holding out hope because in the same way that the NFL is better when the Raiders are relevant, the NFL is better when John Gruden is a head coach and is performing well because he's just a great character and you know he's one of those people that you either love him or you hate him and you know he's even fun to hate when you don't like him but I'm wishing Gruden all the success in the world and I believe in Derek Carr but they gotta figure it out and when I say they I mean specifically Mike Mayock and John Gruden they have to lock this shit up they have to get their shit together and figure out what they're doing because right now it's just mediocrity man and you you can't have that the expectations were so high when he came back in the building and i think he's smart i think uh talking about gruden i think he's he's capable but man he is he's got to find his groove he's got to find his niche and um we'll see what they can put together going into this season let's talk about the indianapolis colts who had a great run with Philip Rivers. They won 11 games this year, played really well in what effectively was a transition year. You're getting a new quarterback after how the Colts performed the previous season. Not much was expected, I think, from a lot of people outside of the organization. And Jonathan Taylor, my God, that kid can play football. So great asset to add to the Colts. And the defense forced 25 turnovers. That defense was all over the field. They were ball hawks. And, you know, they kept their team in in damn near every game in 2020. Um, The Colts also have 70 
million dollars in projected cap space for the 2021 season, which is second behind only the Jacksonville Jaguars. So lots of money to spend. Um, if you're looking at the bad side of things, you're starting over at quarterback, right? So again, everybody's talked about potentials of Carson Wentz, Deshaun Watson, you know, what other players are going to be available that are currently in the league and then obviously you have the option through the draft and trading up or finding a deal that makes sense for you i think it's going to be a learning curve i think whoever comes in there at quarterback you know don't set your expectations too high for this this first season um unless you know you pull some ridiculous rabbit out of a hat and you get to Sean Watts and then I think that changes everything but outside of that you know starting over a quarterback is never really a good thing and uh, I think there's 11 players on the Colts defense who are free agents this year and that includes Xavier Rhodes, Justin Houston so there's a lot of pieces there that could be on the move if the Colts don't use a lot of that cap space that they have to pay their own, which I think they should. I think they should secure, you know, a, a bunch of the talent that they have there, especially on defense. Uh, one of the other bad things that the Colts had going for them this year was 900 yards and penalties. I mean, that's just, that's not great football. You you have to be more disciplined than that. And hopefully they'll, they'll get that right at, heading into the 2021 season. But on to the uncensored, listen, Frank Wright and the front office of the Indianapolis Colts need to go on a shopping spree, shopping spree, okay? I want one of those, I want two of those, I want five of these, everything, because with that much cap space in what, remember, this is a year where for the first time, the cap space is going down. The cap limit is going down, projected, uh, because of what happened with COVID and because of the teams missing out on all this revenue. It was agreed to that the cap would be lower than what it has been previously, which means there's going to be less money to go around to a lot of free agents, which means that the Colts will be able to be more competitive than anybody else outside of the Jaguars because they have more money to spend in a year where most teams have little to no wiggle room. And you add to the fact that once that TV deal kicks in next year or the year after, once everything gets signed, that cap is going to go through the fucking roof. So I am taking the black card out and we are spending like there is no tomorrow in the Colts organization. That's what I'd be doing this offseason. So let's stay in that same division and talk about the Tennessee Titans. So King Henry, 2,000-yard club, he's going to run it back again this year. Ryan Tannehill, 6.9% touchdown percentage last year. So Every 7% of his throws were for a touchdown. That's the third best in the NFL. He had 106.5 rating last year. He's going to run it back as well. So offensively, you've got your great key players there with your quarterback, your running back. Wide receiver remains to be seen with some free agent possible loss there. 
Um, we'll have to see what the Titans do, who they decide to pay, and who they decide to let walk. But offensively, you've got a lot going on there. Now, as far as the bat is concerned, listen, man, there was zero. And when I say zero, I mean there was zero pass rush from the Tennessee Titans last year. My six-year-old nephew is under more pressure building Legos than any quarterback was in the NFL who faced the Titans last year. They could sit back there for days and have lunch. That has to be addressed. Jadavian Clowney was an obvious disappointment to them, to say the least. And to make matters worse, the Titans don't have any cap space. Unlike their division partner, the Colts, that we just talked about, the Titans don't have the black card. So they will be looking to be savvy and make some deals, but they need to improve that defense because it was abysmal uh, last year. Now the uncensored. What is going to happen without Arthur Smith in the Titans organization? Now he was given a lot of credit the way that Eric Bieniemy was uh, under Andy Reid and the Chiefs. Arthur Smith was the OC for the Tennessee Titans, and obviously we saw what that Tennessee Titans offense has been over the past few years, and that's great. But now he's gone. So what does that mean for Ryan Tannehill? What does that mean for the offense that's been you know, so great over the past few years? Is it just next man up mentality, or is there going to be any kind of fundamental shifts to the things that they do on offense. I mean, you know the old adage, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But what happens when you don't have a choice, when you have to fix it because your OC leaves somewhere else? Um, I would assume they stay with a lot of the same schemes or, you know, but it'll it'll be interesting to see because if we do see a drop-off, if we do see a lot of offensive efficiency start to start to drop, then you know we have to think that there was a lot more to the Arthur Smith connection than possibly one we wanted to give credit to. And I also want to see how the Titans are going to respond to the playoff loss. Because it's interesting, the Titans and the Ravens have now met five times in the playoffs and in every single game the road team is won the home team is 0 and 5 in those matchups so i want to see after two really good years back to back and you know at least the one year they went to the AFC championship game and then in this past year obviously they got beat by the ravens and we know what happened there but I want to see how they're going to respond. You've got a good team, especially offensively. You need to do work on defense, for sure. But you've got a great head coach. You've got some great pieces. What are you going to do about it? So let's see. And to close out, you know, talking about them and move on to the Texans, this this was difficult for me because, you know, I, I, I want to be positive and I, I, I want to talk about the good things with every organization and be an equal opportunity offender when I need to but here's my good with the Texans you've started the process I mean 
This is a great football city with passionate fans. I think Toro is one of the prime mascots in the NFL. Um, but you started the process with Nick Casario, and you're hopefully trying to rebuild and, and, and start things in the right direction. Like, that's it. Like, that's, that's all I have from a p- positive perspective because everything else is mierda. Everything else is total and utter shit. I mean, Billy O left you in shambles. J.J. Watt is now gone. Deshaun Watson wants out, wants out. And the defense last year, even with J.J. Watt, forced the fewest turnovers in the league. They had the sixth worst scoring defense in the NFL. Like, the whole team is, is just bad. And that doesn't mean that all the players on the team are bad. It just means... The organization, the coaching, the, everything top-down was shit collectively. It was shit. Nobody argues that Deshaun Watson is an elite quarterback in the NFL, but he won four games because there's 53 guys on the active roster. There's a huge front office and coaching staff and everything. Like All of these pieces have to come together to play winning football and what we saw out of the Houston Texans organization last year was just one embarrassment after another. And moving into the uncensored part, I don't know Jack Easterby. I've never met him. And if I'm being completely honest, before this year, I barely knew who the hell he was. But if he is not to blame in this situation then this is part of the worst character assassination that has happened since Nikola Tesla. Because all anybody is talking about now is Jack Easterby, who went from someone in character development to apparently pulling all of the strings at the Houston Texans organization and being responsible, allegedly, for the downfall of the Houston Texans. So... I don't know how his rise to power happened and exactly how everything went down, but he seems to be the scapegoat right now, rightly or wrongly, for everything going on in the Texans organization. And I would like to say it's not that easy. I don't know this guy. I don't know how much input he has or why players or people within the organization may feel that everything's his fault and maybe there's a lot of blame to pass around there but there is a lot of blame to pass around and I assure you there's blame enough to go around to a lot of people including ownership including Bill O'Brien and his GM slash coaching slash debacle I mean do you know the amount of people that at least should have had to sign off on DeAndre Hopkins getting traded for a tuna fish sandwich. Like, it's you You can't put it all on one guy. And sure, it's it's trickle-down, right? I mean, I, I could put a lot of it on ownership because whoever is the main culprit behind a lot of the garbage going on there, ownership obviously signs the checks and is okay with it. So... I think we're going to hear a lot more about this situation as 
it plays out and what happens this year and next year and eventually there's there's going to be a I, I I sense a 30 for 30 coming at some point on the Houston Texans organization but good luck Texans fans I I hope it turns around it's sad to think that you might lose Deshaun Watson over everything that's going on behind the scenes but hopefully Nick Casario comes in and is able to right the ship and get some things going in the good direction. Um, let's talk about the last team in that division, and that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. So right off the bat, you want to talk about good? You got Trevor Lawrence. T-Law will be a Jacksonville Jaguar. I mean, barring some ridiculous divine intervention that I really can't foresee, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a Jacksonville Jaguar. The Jacksonville Jaguars have $80 million in cap room in a year that we just talked about is a shortened cap, a smaller cap, and a lot of teams won't be able to be competitive and, and make moves. So the Jaguars could go ham and or they could spend half, roll the other half into next year, much like the, the Patriots did, you know, the Patriots... Oh, we don't have any money. We don't have any money. Yeah, you rolled like $30 million into this year, so you had some money. Um, but the Jaguars have their new coach in Urban Meyer. They've got draft capital. James Robinson out the gate showed everybody that he is an NFL running back and he is here to play. And last year they were the youngest team in the NFL. So it's not like you have a whole team full of old-ass veterans that are on expensive contracts or people that are coming up for a replacement. You've got a young team. You've got a young uh, quarterback coming in, in in Trevor Lawrence, and he'll be on a rookie deal, albeit a number one overall deal. Um, so there's a lot to look forward to if you're a Jags fan. Now you want to talk about the bad? I mean, hell, where do you start? You won one game last year, so I mean... There's there's a lot of bad to go around. The team has holes everywhere. And over the past few years, outside of one exceptional 2017 season, ownership has not given Jacksonville fans a reason to come to games. I mean, those games have been historically empty. Even when the Jags were doing half decent, ownership has to really, really bring in some people and understand how to create a better brand for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I mean, listen, bringing in Urban Meyer, having the number one overall pick, $80 million in cap space, that helps. But you have to do all the other little things, all the right things within the organization to really build up the brand. I mean, for as much shit that we give Jerry Jones from time to time, uh, over some of his football decisions, the man knows how to build a brand. And the man is a... Uh, <laughs> he is a brand onto himself. And, you know, take a page out of that book and learn how to build a world-class organization like what the Dallas Cowboys have out there. Um, for the uncensored part with the Jaguars, it's going to be interesting to see how Urban Meyer will handle being a coach in the NFL, and coaching grown-ass men. 
So these aren't kids anymore. These aren't, you know, people who, you know, their parents entrusted you with uh, their mentorship. These are grown-ass individuals. They have families. They have lives. They have marketing deals and other things outside of football. And they don't have to be at class tomorrow morning. So how you approach them and the things that you do and the manner in which you manage them will, I'm sure, be a little bit different than what Urban Meyer is used to. And we've already seen a little bit of that difference between NCAA and NFL. Um, Meyer had hired a strength and conditioning coach for a day, and the hire was very controversial, and then the next day that guy was gone. So I won't get into the whole issues with that coach and why he perhaps might not have should have been hired in the first place because there's enough other sports shows that are talking about that but the point is urban meyer is going to have a little bit of an awakening as far as how the nfl works and that's not to say he can't do it i mean pete carroll did it jimmy johnson did it you know there's plenty of coaches who have made that leap um but it's it's going to be a growing curve for him, uh, I'm sure. So, but let's move on to the Baltimore Ravens. Now, you want to talk about the good? I'm still on the Lamar hype train. I think he's amazing. That halftime shit game, or whatever you want to call it, where he ran into the locker room for bubble guts or whatever he had wrong with him, came out through touchdowns, won the game. Um, Lamar is is the real deal. That running game is insane. They had the most rushing yards over any two-year period in NFL history. The defense was playing lights out last year. John Harbaugh, I think, is one of the greatest coaches in the NFL, and he's a true leader of men. He's a character guy, and I love him as a coach. I think you're an amazing organization. I think the Ravens have great, great things going for them. Um... So there's a lot of positivity to hold on to heading into the 2021 season. But, you know, we got to talk about the bad. The Ravens don't play well from behind. If they don't have a lead and they can't keep running the ball down your throat, it's hard for them to come from behind. And a lot of people look at that as a peg on Lamar. And I don't think it is. I think it's more a peg on the offensive scheme and how the team is built as a whole. The team isn't built for these wide receivers to run these kind of routes where Lamar's going to throw for 30, 40 times a game. Like, that's that's just not who they are. They don't practice that way. They don't scheme it that way. So when all of a sudden you get down by two touchdowns, you can't just change philosophically who you are. So that's something that the Ravens are going to have to take a really hard look at and find out how to, with out compromising who you are as a team and all the excellent things that you do well, how to figure out how to incorporate more of a scheme that's built to play with or without the lead. And an example I would give of that is what Arthur Smith did with the Tennessee Titans because they could hurt you both ways. Yes, Derrick Henry will run down your throat for 2,000 yards, but... They could also hit you over the top. And that wasn't to say that because, 
you know, Lamar Jackson isn't as good of a quarterback. It it has to do with the scheme and how you run things and a lot of coaching decisions that go into those sorts of things. So that's something the Ravens are going to have to look at. Also bad news for Ravens fans, the Browns are no longer the kid brother that you can kick the shit out of twice a year anymore. That's not happening. The kid brother has grown up, he's joined the wrestling team, and now it's going to be a fight. So you are now going to have to deal with them twice a year, and that's going to make your path to the playoffs and ultimately a championship just that much harder. Uh, Another thing the Ravens have to look at is Yannick Ngakwe is a free agent at only 25 years old. They obviously just got him uh, from Minnesota, who got him through Jacksonville. I think you do not let him out of that building. I think you need to sign him and continue holding down that amazing defense that the Ravens have and who their identity is. You think about the old Ravens with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Those guys were just like, they were the defense. And I think Yannick is one of those special guys, and I think that that's something they need to address immediately in this offseason. On the uncensored side of it, if I'm being completely blunt, I think the Baltimore Ravens must get to the Super Bowl this year. I really do. I think that in 2020, they scored only five less points than the Kansas City Chiefs who everybody bill as having the best offense in football. They had the number two scoring defense in football, and they didn't make it to the Super Bowl. The Ravens are too talented, they are too well coached, and they are too elite of an organization to not get to the Super Bowl. With everything they have on paper, and everything they have as an identity, the Baltimore Ravens must get to the Super Bowl in 2021. It has to happen. So let's talk about the Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers have some young wide receivers that I think can be very good. And, you know, as far as coaching, I have always thought that Mike Tomlin is among the best. He now has an NFL record 14 straight years without a losing season. He's never had a losing season, and although that's not the bar that you want to have is to just not have a losing season, when you look back at the years where he had no Ben Roethlisberger, if you look back at the years where he had Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown in the same locker room and was able to manage that shit, When you look at some of the things that he's accomplished, I think that there is not enough credit being given to Mike Tomlin. So Steelers fans, count yourself lucky for the consistency that you have at the head coaching position and knowing that that's one thing you do not have to worry about each season. Also, the defense was playing Steeler football last year. They were the number three scoring defense in the NFL. There's a lot of pieces there that... I think we'll continue to make the Steelers very competitive in the National Football League. But you know we got to look at the bad stuff as well. So potentially I see a bunch of free agents that could be lost this offseason. Bud Dupree, Villanueva, Juju, obviously Pouncey retired. So there's going to be a lot of shifting pieces there. 
um, for Pittsburgh, and they're going to have to, obviously, uh, just as other teams as well, they're going to have to find pieces to replace some of those integral parts if they're not able to keep them. The only good thing is if they have significant free agent loss, obviously that looks towards compensatory picks going into the 2022 season. Um, I'm not sure how much Ben has left in the tank, but they need to put enough pieces around him to where he doesn't have to do it all on himself. Um, The Steelers had a lot of drops this season, and obviously they, they had some other issues offensively as well, but they cannot make Ben have to put the team on his back going into this season because if they do that, they will fail, and it's not going to work out very well. So moving on to the uncensored part, damn it, Mike Tomlin. I just talked about my love for you and how much I respect you and what a great coach you are, but you broke my fucking heart. You really did. Your team was undefeated. They were taking wagers on what would happen first. Would the Steelers lose a game or would the Jets win a game? And the odds were that, you know, the Steelers just probably wouldn't lose a game. They were were playing that well. They were doing so amazing. And then, Mike Tomlin, you proceeded to let your team take the 2020 season and flush it down the toilet. It was so horrible to watch because it was like they started to doubt themselves and then they started to just believe everything that everybody on the outside was saying. And that's not a Steelers organization that I'm used to seeing. Um, It was just, it was one of the worst uh, debacles and, and falling apart of a season that I have seen in a long, long time. I mean, the Steelers were just lights out in the beginning of the year. And yeah, you can say a lot about the teams that they were playing and what the situation was, and I get it, and maybe that gave them a little bit of a false sense of confidence. But even still, to just all of a sudden fall apart like that cannot cannot happen so you hurt me Mike Tomlin don't do it again please I beg of you let's talk about somebody who got hurt much worse than I did though let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals Joe Burrow will be coming back from injury at some point and the good news is for Bengals fans you got him you got your guy you got Joe Burrow He's supposed to be the second coming, you know, quarterback messiah, and hopefully he will deliver the Bengals to the promised land. His time is coming soon. We don't know how soon because I doubt he suits up for a preseason game, and I don't know, you know, he he talks about maybe being ready for the season opener, but I think that's um, that's definitely being optimistic at best. And either way, he's not going to have the offseason. He's not going to be able to really be able to push himself 
and uh, get in there the way he needs to. So it might be a whole another entire year until we really see what the Bengals have in Joe Burrow. But you got him, though. I mean, that's that's kind of your good news, right? You got your guy. And uh, you've got some good young wide receivers, too. So you, you pair that with the $38 million in cap space that you have where you can go out and make some moves. And that's it. That's all I really have for the positivity of, of the Bengals. It, it wasn't an exceptional year for you guys. Um, on the bad side of things, the defense sucks. The run game sucks. The O-line sucks. And I'm still not sold on Zach Taylor. And to make matters worse, you guys are in a bad division to be in. Because guess what? The Ravens are really good. The Steelers we just talked about. And oh yeah, the Browns, they grew up. And they're on steroids now. So there's going to be no walks in the park in this division. If Joe Burrow becomes good and the Bengals find their identity... This division will quickly become the most competitive division in football and one of the toughest divisions to play in because you might win that division at nine wins because everybody will be beating the shit out of each other all year round. So I will be very curious to see what happens with the Bengals because I think a lot of it hinges on Zach. Zach Taylor and whether he's with the Bengals next year um, and how that plays out. But Bengals have probably the biggest uphill climb in that division to become competitive. And speaking about the Browns that we just mentioned, listen, let's talk about the good for the Browns fans. How are you not excited? Amazing fucking year. Amazing fucking year. Pat yourselves on the back. It's been a long time coming. Baker balled out this year. Garrett and Olivier Vernon had 21 sacks combined. The run game is stupid good. And, you know, Stefanski was coach of the year. So, I mean, shit. That's that's not a bad start. It's, it's really not. You have to build on that, obviously. But you should feel very positive about your team right now if you're a Cleveland Browns fan. But you know we got to talk about the bad. So we just mentioned it. You're going to be in a gang fight every single year heading to the postseason because of the division that you're in. Things are not going to get easier from here. And oh yeah, Baker's about to be due for a raise. So he's going to ask for a good chunk of money. And he will probably get that chunk of money. Um, And if so, obviously that restrict spending that you can do things in other areas Uh, or obviously they always have the opportunity to let him walk which it depends on how everything plays out but I really don't see that happening I think you pay Baker and get the deal done as far as the uncensored thing um, I'll give you my honest opinion I think the Cleveland Browns right now today are two to three pieces away from a Super Bowl caliber team. I think a couple of linebackers and a safety, and that's it. Cleveland is in there. I think that they've got a really, really good shot to play excellent football again this year, and I think, I'm telling you, two to three 
elite pieces. I mean, like home run, just organizational changing pieces. And I think the Browns are really in there. And I think, you know, they awoke a sleeping giant with the Browns fans. And they know Cleveland rocks. And they're ready to go all in. And let's get this thing fucking done. So, Cleveland, front office organization, give Sonny Weaver a call. Ask him what he would do. And then do that thing. Because the Browns are ready. They deserve it. They've earned it. And that's actually where we're going to cut it for this week's show. That's every team in the AFC. We've given you the good, the bad, the uncensored. I'll have the NFC ready for next week's show. And uh, we'll get into some more NFL topics happening around the league. We are only a month away from the start of NFL free agency, the start of the new league year. It's going to be really exciting. I've got the J-Man working on some exceptional articles, including positional breakdowns for every college player that's coming out of the draft. Those will be up on the site shortly. So check us out on Twitter, at RegulatorsPod. We do a bunch of giveaways. Just gave away another couple of jerseys. Um, We're going to do another giveaway next week. So stay tuned to that. Turn on notifications on Twitter, and that'll help you get into the running for those. You can also check out our content at www.regulatorspod.com. Thank you, as always, from the bottom of my heart. I just I love doing this. I love engaging with you guys. Last night I talked for hours and hours with a couple of guys over stats and just geeking out over some random things. And uh, it's a passion of mine, so I'm glad I can share my passion with you guys who are also so passionate about this sport that we love. So thank you for being part of the Regulators Network, and uh, let's have a great week, guys. You know how we end the show. (laughs) 